seat. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. I'm so thankful to be able to come to God's house today. And we know that we're living in the last days. And in the midst of all of the chaos that's going on, we can still put a smile on our face because we know who is in control. Amen. And I'm so thankful this morning uh, that I've come to the house of the Lord with my brothers and sisters in Christ to lift up his name. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come to you today in the name of your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be able to come into your house, Lord. God, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege, Lord, to be able to call you Father. Father. Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit right now to come into this place, Lord. God, to do the work that you desire to do today, Lord. God, let us leave everything that's laying aside, Lord. And for this moment, let us give you all of ourselves, God. And we're expecting you to do mighty and great things. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen and amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your spirit that is within this house. Lord, we thank you for your presence. Lord, truly, Lord, let that be the cry of our heart, Lord, today, that, God, we would worship you until the very end, Lord. God, we thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us, Lord, as the line in that song says, Lord, you've taken us from the miry clay, and you've set our feet upon the rock to stay, Lord. God, we were sinking deep in sin, Lord. God, no hope for us. But, Lord, you came passing by our way, God, and you set our feet upon the rock, Lord. And ever since that day, God, no matter the storms that have come, no matter the trials that have come, Lord, God, you have kept us and kept us, you will do, Lord. God, you've been faithful to us time and time again, Lord. And until the very end, Lord, we know you will remain faithful to us, Father. So, Lord, we're here today to worship you, Lord, in spirit and in truth, God. Lord, I worship you today, God. Lord, you said the praise will go forth unto you if the rocks even have to cry out. But, Lord, I don't want any rocks to cry out upon my behalf, Lord. So, God, I lift my voice unto you today, Lord, given to you, Lord, what is rightfully due unto you and so much more, Lord. God, thank you. It's not enough, Lord. It's not enough, Lord God, to be able to tell you, Lord, how I feel for what you've done for me. But, Lord, I'm so thankful that, God, I'll have all of eternity, Lord, to be able to express to you my gratitude, Lord, where we will sing redemption song one day, Lord. And, Lord, we give you praise, we give you glory, and we give you honor. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen and amen. amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with us to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. So thankful again to be able to be in the house of the Lord today. And uh, let me just remind you again, let us never take for granted the freedoms and the privileges that we have to be able to come into the house of the Lord, to be able to worship the Lord. Amen. Uh, there are countries all around this world uh, that would give anything to be able to have the freedoms that we have, to be able to go to the house of the Lord, to be able to worship. And I think sometimes we forget because we're so blessed. We're so blessed, we, we don't even realize how blessed we are. There are churches all around this country, there, I mean around this world, where there are people today that are having to gather in uh, tunnels, that are having to gather in fear of their life, that if they are caught coming together, as you and I are doing today, that they will lose their life. And, uh, and, but yet again, because we live in the greatest country on the face of the earth, we have the honor and the privilege to be able to come into the house of the Lord and to know that we don't have to fear, amen, that we can worship Jesus Christ, amen. So I'm so thankful, again, uh, <clears throat> to be alive, to be living here in this country, and most of all, to be serving the Lord today, amen. If you're there in Matthew chapter 24, say amen. 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 All right, we're going to be reading starting with verse 32. The Bible says here, now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and put forth leaves, 
you know that summer is near. So likewise, you, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. I want to read that again. So likewise, you, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knows no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days there were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. There's no doubt in my mind, and I'm sure no doubt in yours, if you are truly born again, that Jesus Christ, according to what we see in the world taking place today, that he is soon to return. Amen. I said that he's soon to return. And it's not by coincidence that the song selections were made today. Amen. Uh, because, uh, again, nothing happens by chance or coincidence, but it is divinely ordered by the Holy Spirit. But as of here lately, the call to seek him more, to seek the face of God even more and more grows in my life every single day and really by the hour. And I've never felt an urgency to draw closer to him. I've never felt the desire to be in his presence. I've never felt the desire to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ now more than ever before. Let me say that again. I've never in my life, in my walk with the Lord, have I desired to be in his presence? Have I desired to seek his face? And have I ever desired to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? You may ask me, well, why is that? Because I can tell you that when you know that we are living in the last days, you realize that there is still work to be done. Let me say that again. There is still work to be done. And I know that we pick on the unbelievers and I know that we pick on the world and we say that they're not ready, they're going to miss the call and it is rightfully to be said because if not born again, you will miss the, the rapture of the church. Amen. You will be left behind. But I think that we forget as believers, as laborers for the kingdom of God that God has called us to, that we have a responsibility and really a privilege to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, it is the Spirit of Almighty God that draws the heart to, the, to, uh, to Jesus. Amen. It is the Spirit of Almighty God that convicts, that does all the work. But yet He has left the privilege and the responsibility of preaching His Word up to you and up to me. And I know that many, again, place the responsibility solely upon the one that stands behind the pulpit. But as I have said before, David has made mention of it in the men's meeting. If you are blood-bought and you are a child of God, then you have been called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will come into contact with people day in and day out that I will never be able to talk to. And maybe no one that stands in a three-piece suit will ever be able to talk to. And you are the only Bible that they will ever see and that they will ever read. And they are dependent upon you and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We as the church have got to get rid of the mindset that it only belongs to the ones that he's called to stand up and pastor, that he's called to evangelize, that he's called to the fivefold ministry, and realize that it is incumbent upon you and I as believers to proclaim the good news 
of Jesus Christ. It's not just good news, it's great news, amen? Because Jesus saves, amen? He saves from sin. He delivers from sin. He takes your feet from the miry clay and he sets it upon the rock to stay, amen? But in seeking the Lord earlier this week, and what he would have me to preach this morning, he dealt with me on this very passage of Scripture. And I honestly have felt a heaviness all week in my spirit and in my heart regarding this message for today. But when you hear me preach this message today, in fact, when you heard me read this Scripture, whether here in the sanctuary or watching by the way of Internet, or will watch, one or two feelings came to you. Either you leapt for joy with inside of your heart and knowing that Jesus Christ is getting ready to come back and hearing these words and knowing that it's even at the doors, not only the coming of the Lord, his second return, and that's exactly what he's talking about in this scripture, the coming of the, of the Lord at the second time, but if that's soon to appear, then we know that the rapture is right here, amen? And either joy fills your heart today in hearing these words and in knowing that Jesus Christ could come back this very hour before this service is over, Jesus Christ could come back. Or else, uncertainty and fear grips your heart. It's one of the two. When people hear the return of the Lord, when people hear that Jesus is near, you either disregard it and you think that is maybe for later, or even fear and uncertainty fills your heart. Or else, joy and gladness fills your heart because you know you're getting ready to leave here. Amen. I want to preach a message this morning simply entitled, Time is Ticking, Jesus is Near. Time is ticking, Jesus is near. And I know that you've heard this message, the title maybe like this, all your life. But I'm begging you this morning, do not sit and allow the enemy to disregard this message as to thinking that's just another message like I've heard before about the return of the Lord. Time is ticking. Jesus is near. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you again in the name of your son Jesus. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your spirit. We thank you for your presence. And Lord, we thank you again for the opportunity to preach your word. Lord, we take authority over every power of darkness, every wrong mindset, Lord, right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we know that the enemy does not desire your word to go forth, God, but we know that the gates of hell shall not prevail. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we get to stand and to proclaim your word, but we realize, God, that we are unworthy and that, God, it is not nothing of us, Lord, that, that you can use, but it is only because of your grace and because of the blood of Jesus Christ that we can stand here today, Lord, and proclaim your word. Lord, I'm asking God for an anointing, Lord, to preach your word this morning. Lord, that you would saturate my lips, Lord, and that every word that is spoken would be truly ordained of you. Lord, not one feeling, not one wrong emotion would come forth, God, but that, Lord, you would take complete control of this vessel, Lord, as I yield every faculty unto you, God. Anoint the hearts of your people to receive your word this morning, God, and in the end of it all, we will not fail to give you praise. And everyone said, in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Everybody said amen and amen. In the beginning of this chapter, Jesus has just went out from the temple and he foretells of the destruction of the temple. And may I just say that when Jesus went out from the temple, the glory of God went out from the temple as well. See, it doesn't matter how beautiful or big a building may be or however small and tiny that it may be, all that matters is does that place house 
the presence of Almighty God. See, when Jesus left the temple, so did the glory. And I know that we gather here every Sunday and on Sunday nights and on Wednesdays and on Tuesday for prayer meetings. And I know there's churches today on every corner all throughout this world and all throughout this country. But let me tell you, it doesn't matter what's been resurrected and what man has been. If it does not house the presence of God, then it does not have the glory of God. It does not matter that there's a steeple on the roof. It doesn't matter the denominational name that's outside. And it doesn't matter who the pastor of the church is. If it does not house the presence of God, then nothing is going to be accomplished for the kingdom of God. Amen? It is not it is not by power but it is by his spirit and his spirit alone we stand and we preach the word I preach this word to you this morning I'll preach it on Sunday nights I preach it on Wednesday nights but at the end of the day I can't draw the heart I can't save nobody I can't make fruit develop in the life he says Wayne you get up there you preach the word and then sit out and get out of the way and let me do what only I can do amen because it's the Spirit of Almighty God that does the work that is accomplished for the kingdom of God. He just uses old poor vessels like me that are wretched, that are miserable, that are blind, that don't have it all together. And says, I'm going to place my spirit in you to preach my word so that as my word goes forth, I can see those come in into the fold. Amen? So we find Jesus sitting upon the Mount of Olives. And he's questioned by the disciples, what is the sign of your coming? And the disciples at this time had a misunderstanding and did have not really have any understanding of the rapture of church in mind. They didn't even have an understanding that a rapture would first take place, but just the fact that Jesus Christ would come on back and, and set up his kingdom and, and be here forever and ever to reign. But rather, they had in mind the ascension of Israel, which is why they felt Jesus would lead and expected, they expected him to do it very shortly. You see, they were totally unaware at the destruction of Jerusalem that would take place and the dispersion of Israel that now has lasted for nearly 2,000 years. And Jesus would go on in the next several verses to describe the signs of the end time. And I find it very interesting if you read back at the beginning of this text in the very in verse 4, the very first sign of the end time that Jesus Christ makes us aware of and that makes known to us, as we pointed out even in the men's meeting, was the fact of deception. Jesus Christ himself spoke to his disciples. He's saying to you and I today, let no man deceive you. Let no man deceive you. Now, why would Jesus Christ say this? He's spoken unto his disciples. He's telling you and I, and it was echoed by the apostles and the other epistles that would come later, and again and again by Paul and by Peter, to let no man deceive you that in the last days they were going to raise up false prophets and false preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ that would lead many astray. And he's telling his disciples, the true followers of Jesus Christ, be be vigilant, be sober-minded, listen up to what is being proclaimed, and make sure that it's being lined up with the Word of God. Amen? 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3 says, Now the Spirit, now the Spirit speaks expressively that in the latter times shall some depart from the faith. Now think about that. Some shall depart from the faith. This totally goes against unconditional security. 
This goes totally against the fact because I have once been saved. It doesn't matter what I do. But we find here that some depart. They were once walking with the Lord. They were once there looking to Calvary as their only means of salvation. But the Bible here says that they departed. And the last time I checked, the word depart means to leave. They left the faith. They no longer was trusting in Christ for their salvation and definitely not even for their sanctification. And giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies of hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now get this, he's not that these people were compromising on what they once stood. Here is telling Timothy that there were going to be people that are compromising on the word of God, the doctrines of the Bible that they once stood on. It goes on to say forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God has created to be received with thanksgiving to them which believe and know the truth. So they were not hearing now. People now in these last days are not adhering. They're not to the true word of God but yet they're falling away and adhering to seducing spirits to those that will tell them what they want to hear because let me tell you it feels real good and it itches the ear when you're told you don't have to do anything you just live any old kind of way you want to just say yes to Jesus Christ and that you don't have to change that you don't have to surrender your life over to the Lord. We like to hear those things. The flesh likes to hear those things. But can I tell you, those things are damnable lies of the enemy of hell that will cause one to miss the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that it's not popular preaching. And I know that if you want to hear opposite of this, there's a dime a dozen of churches and I'm not being nipped because again the Bible says it and you don't have to go far because they're in the back door that seats thousands and thousands and thousands of people they never mention the blood of Jesus Christ they never mention the cross they never say that you've got to give your heart to Jesus Christ they never mention the word repentance but yet they talk about everything else in fact Paul tells us that if it's not the Jesus that I have spoken unto you it's another Jesus because when you separate the cross from Jesus Christ. It's no longer the Jesus that we read here in the Bible, but it's another Jesus and it's another spirit. See, if it's not the Jesus of the cross, then it's not the Holy Spirit. So that tells me the other spirit is a demonic spirit. Amen? So that I, be I believe that I stand more amazed, not so much as to what's going on in the world right now. This doesn't shock me. It does not shock me to see the riot. It does not shock me to see the fighting. It does not shock me to see no unity within the churches. None of this shocks me. You want to know why? Because the Bible tells us that this would happen. But what amazes me even more is that we've got Christians that are shocked, that have their mouth wide open, that can't believe all this has happened. But yet if we would pick up the Word of God and we would read just the chapter with which we would read, we would see that everything that he said would take place in the end times is unfolding before our very eyes. And yet we sit back with our mouths wide open saying, I can't believe what I'm seeing. You should believe it. If you're in the Word, it tells you not only in this chapter, but in other epistles it's happening. It's going to take place. But that should bring joy to your heart, child of God. You're getting ready to leave out of here. 
You and I can walk around in the midst of all that is going on and wear a smile on our face because we're leaving out of here because the Bible says all of these things will take place. There's nothing else left to be fulfilled. We're going home. And I can't wait to go home. Amen? So again, the Holy Spirit has distinctively and in clear language that under the last dispensation of grace that we're living in, that the church would apostatize. That the church would deviate from their belief of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, lies, hear me today, would be spoken from behind a pulpit just like this one. Lies would come forth. And in fact, lies, I believe, go forth more than the actual truth in these last days. In fact, in the epistle of 2 Peter, Peter would let us know that his life would soon to come to an end. Peter's life was getting ready to come to an end in Peter 1.14. And he is warning. What is he doing? He's warning the church of those that would try and deceive people by bringing in a new message. By deceiving them of one that he had not preached and that had not been preached and taught by the true disciples that would try to take them away from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you today that a true preacher, a true one that is truly of God, will always tell you and will always warn you of the dangers that lies ahead. See, a lot of people will say, I'm mad today. Or, he's not, I don't like what he's saying because he's not making me feel good. But because I love you, because I love you, I am to stand here and proclaim to you the truth. Because, see, the Bible tells me that if I don't tell you the truth, then your blood is going to be on my hands. And I'm not going to stand before the Lord one day and him have to look at me and say, why didn't you tell them that they had to be born again? Why didn't you tell them and preach to them the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why did you succumb to the pressures of society? I told you that I would be there. I told you that I would anoint you. I told you if you'll trust me, you will see them come in. Why did you waver from the truth? I'm not going to stand before the Lord one day. When I deliver this message and I deliver you my soul, what you do with it when you leave out these doors is left entirely up to you. Because the responsibility is not laid on me anymore. Because once truth has been made known, then you are responsible for what you have just heard. You don't get to say, well, I'm not going to make a decision. You've got to make a decision when truth is given to you each and every single time. And I can tell you that, again, we don't have to go far to find those in our own state, in our own state that preaches false. I want to give you a couple statistics, and I want you to pay a particular attention to these things. 56% of so-called Christians, they call themselves Christians, 56% of them believe that premarital sex is okay and that moving in with someone before marriage is right. 56% of them in a recent poll that go to church week in and week out that call themselves Christian and born again see nothing wrong with it. In fact, if you talk to people like that, they think you're old school. They think that's old way of thinking. Hello, I'm the Lord thy God and I change what? Not. His word don't change. What it has always said before will always stand. Amen? 61% of so-called Christians said that they would have sex before marriage and see no problem with it whatsoever. Could it just be because we don't proclaim and we don't call out sin anymore? 
Now, don't get me wrong. We are to love people. In fact, Stacy was having a conversation with her mother that she went visiting Friday. A good, godly woman. A woman that intercedes and prays like I have never seen anyone do before. Loves the Lord with all of her heart. But she is so troubled in her heart because it seems like everybody's preaching love, 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 love. And never call out, you've got to repent. You never call out sin. Listen, if Jesus Christ called it out himself, why are we not calling it out? And I know that it runs a whole long list. Don't get me wrong. You've got gossiping. You've got unforgiveness. You've got bitterness. You've got jealousy. You've got all of these things. And the list goes on and on and on and on. But the reason why I've called out this and what else I'm going to call out is because this is hitting the church like never before. In fact, I just read it in that verse forbidding to marry, saying you don't even have to do these things anymore. See, as true Christians, we are to be on guard as to what is being said and who we listen to. Because now more than ever before, the spirit of deception is alive and well. And to not agree now places you, believer, in the minority. To not agree with what they are saying is okay now places you and I in the minority. 60, 70, 80, and 90 years ago when my grandparents were alive, when your parents and your grandparents were alive, you were considered the majority. Because this country, again, had true believers that loved God with all of their heart. But now, it's went from being the majority over to the minority. Because we as Christians are considered the minority. Do you realize that we are hated and we are blamed for what the problems are in the world today? In fact, past presidential politicians have said, if I get into office, these evangelical Christians are going to have to change the way they think. In fact, there are cities right now where petitions are being made known in states of the United States of America that are saying that preachers of the gospel will have to present their message before a council to get approval to preach it on Sunday morning. And let me just say that if that ever happens here, I don't care what happens, I'm not getting approval from nobody because as long as God Almighty himself is giving it to me, I'm going to give it because I'm not answering to man, I'm answering it to the man. I'm not getting my message approved. I'm not going to be told what to preach on. I'm going to preach what the Lord gives me to preach on. Amen? 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. God has not called us to uncleanliness, but unto holiness. He still says, be ye holy, for I am holy. This idea that we can get saved and that we can just do whatever we want to, that grace covers it all. Listen, grace does cover all of your sin, but grace now is given to you and I to now live a holy life. Because what? Going back to the first song we sang, He set me free so that now I can live holy before the Lord. I couldn't do it before. I was too chained up. I was too messed up. But He set me free so that now I can walk straight and not crooked. Only 24, only 24% of this country, of Americans, believe that the Bible is the literal inspired word of God. Only 24% of this country believe that the Bible is the true inspired word of God. They say that the Bible should not at all be taken literal. And that not much of the Bible, and much of the Bible is just nothing more but stories. Nothing more 
but fables. They don't believe that a man that was blind Bartimaeus, they don't believe that Jesus Christ went walking by his way and his blinded eyes were open. They don't believe that the woman with the issue of blood just touched the hem of his garment and was made whole. They don't believe that Lazarus had been dead three days and he came forth. They don't believe this stuff. They think it's nothing more but just stories, fables like you would read to your children at night. Those that are 50 and older lean more toward believing the Bible is the inspired Word of God. While the majority of people from 18 to 49, my age group, do not believe in the Bible and calls it nothing more but skepticism. Skepticism. And we want to know what's wrong with our country today. We want to know. We sit back amazed and we want to know where did we go wrong and we've got a whole generation that don't even believe this Bible anymore. That believes it's nothing more but just a story, a story of fables. And that we're brainwashing people. See, a lot of people will say that I'm brainwashing you today because I tell you these things that I tell you. No, I'm not telling you my opinion or emotions. I'm telling you the word of Almighty God. Amen? There is a man who leads a 10,000 member denomination. I won't call it out, but it's a very popular one. In New York City, and said that individuals that preaches that anyone who does not believe in Jesus is going to hell is insanity. Did you hear what I just said? He said that he believes that any over 10,000 member church said that individuals such as myself that would preach that anyone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ will die and go to hell without forgiveness is nothing more but insane. Insanity. Saying that people take many paths to God and can find him even if it does not involve faith in Jesus Christ. 10,000 people sit in this one church and sit up underneath this kind of doctrine and teaching day in and day out. Does it shock us while we're in the condition that we're in today? Does it shock us? these mega churches have grown up and again if you can have mega churches and churches that have large attendance and truly be preaching the word but these ones that sit thousands and thousands and thousands of people unless you find one that I haven't please come and show me but the ones that I was investigating behind the ones that I was researching behind now have left the faith that now says I've had an epiphany I had it wrong it's not necessarily that way again the word of God does not change. The denial that one must go through the cross of Christ to be saved and to be born again is the spirit of Antichrist. John even tells us that not only it would come, but can I tell you that the spirit of Antichrist is in the world right now. It's not coming, y'all. It's right now. The spirit of Antichrist is here right now. Only one in three adults who claim to have been born again believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to get into heaven. One that claim to be born again believe that only Jesus Christ is the way to get into heaven. One pastor that I read about claimed that the solution right now, right now with what we're going on, one pastor claimed that the solution to the problem was to have an in-depth seven-week church experience that would help them to embrace a new way of thinking. Can I tell you today, I don't need seven weeks. All I need is seven seconds. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. I don't need seven weeks to have an in-depth study. I don't need to come up with a new idea of how we're going to fix this problem. The dental hygienist that I was sitting in the chair with last week told me of the church that she's affiliated with. They're in Statesville, and she is so disturbed because the pastor is saying, what can we do to 
change to help make this situation of what's going on any better. And it's troubled her. And I politely looked at her and I said, you need to listen to the Holy Spirit who's telling you to get out. Because she said she felt that toll. She felt that, uh, that tug to get away from there. Because she's got a true heart for the Lord. And it disturbed her and it rattled her to think that the church, the pastor saying that we need to change. No, you and I don't need to change it for a blood ball. It's the world that ever needs to change. But there are powers of darkness right now that are leading revolutions that are saying we are going to change this world. And by leading a revolution, it means to destroy what is currently going on right now to build something up new again. Do you not see that this is what's going on in this country? Trying to destroy everything here so that it can be rebuilt the way that they want it to be built again. There is almost no call any longer for repentance. Instead of hearing biblically based sermons in the churches, we're given man-inspired seminars on how to improve you, on how to become a better you. The Bible says that all men are guilty, none are righteous, that all have come short of the glory of God, and that the righteousness of Christ and God that is demanded for you and I to be right is given one way and one way only, and that is through His Son, Jesus Christ, and by you evidencing faith and receiving that grace, receiving the goodness of God, receiving the forgiveness that he has for every single one. You see, any sermon and preaching that does not lead you to repentance and to Jesus Christ, the only one who can forgive, you need to dismiss it because it's nothing more but garbage. Any message that does not lead you to Christ Jesus, sinner or saint, needs to be dismissed because it is nothing more but garbage and it will poison your soul. Jesus goes into great detail laying out the signs of the end time events. Therefore, no Christian should be caught unaware, nor should be ignorant of what is going on. In fact, the Bible is the only book that you can trust when it comes to the prediction of the future. And I find it interesting how you can go on Amazon.com and just type in what happened in the future, and you would be shocked at the books that you can buy that man has wrote that does not line up with the Word of God of every man giving his opinion of what's going to take place. Because everybody in these last days are prophets and they know what's going on. Try the Spirit. And if you want to know what's going to take place in the future, read this. Because it's the only truth. It's the only thing that you can truly rely upon. Amen? The two greatest themes of the Word of God are the atonement and end times. And there is nothing more that excites me and should be proclaimed that Jesus Christ is coming to this world and to fulfill the law, releasing us from the demands of the law, to become the sacrifice and propitiation for all of humanity by dying on Calvary's cross and shedding his blood, and three days later coming up out of that grave, nothing more excites me anymore. And I would think that the next thing that would excite the true child of God is knowing that soon and very soon as they were seeing, we are going to see the king. Amen. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Amen. So why are we preaching anything else but the atonement and end times? Why are we talking about everything else? We need to tell them that Jesus bled and died and that Jesus is on his way back. Amen? Jesus goes on to speak to them of the parable of the fig tree, which represents the nation of Israel becoming a nation again. And in 1948, if you know anything about history, Israel became a nation again at the end of World War II, where 10 million Jews, they say, were slaughtered. 
Although I know that much of our school systems and in reality the world is trying to rewrite history, you can still rest assured that Israel is God's chosen people. And I can tell you that as time goes on and whatever time that we have left here in this world, they will try to rewrite history and say that the Holocaust did not even happen. In fact, it's out there even right now. That the Holocaust, that the slaughter of all of these millions of Jews did not actually happen. See, it is another pattern from nature which illustrates the point Jesus wants to make regarding end times. Notice here he says, when his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is here. How do you know that summer is approaching every year? Because things have budded out upon the trees. Because leaves have formed during the springtime, amen? Because flowers are blooming, and you know that just on the horizon, summer is right around the corner. That hot, awful, demonic humidity is right around the corner. <laughs> Me and my aunt, we joke like that. It don't matter how cold it gets, we don't like anybody to talk about hot, hot, how cold they are, because we, I'd rather be cold than be hot. <laughs> but we know... By the signs of spring, by, the, by, the, by how things are coming alive, that summer is just around the corner. You see, Jesus says that as history unfolds and it becomes apparent that the world is heading toward the conditions of which he just described, that we can rest assured that his coming is so near. See, what we have seen take place in this world today is a guarantee that what he spoke regarding the future will come pass. You see, Jesus tells his disciples that when you see all of these things that I've told you about, he goes on to say, know that it is near, even at the doors. And again, if his second coming is near and it's at the doors, where does that leave the rapture of the church? I can tell you where that leaves you. That leaves us right here. I was looking at my hourglass on my office today and had no thought, and when I hit it, it hit me on this passage of Scripture. And spiritually speaking, I can tell you that this is what the condition of the world is in today, whether you want to believe me or whether you don't want to believe me. Time as we know it is running out. Time as we know it is running out. And when this sand comes through the hourglass, then guess what? No more sand pours through because it's all ran out. And that is exactly what is going to happen one day when that last sermon is preached, when the last and when Jesus, when the Lord has said that's it and it's already written down and when it's going to happen, there he's going to say, go get my children. And that at the end of that tribulation period, we know that he is going to come back and there, thank God, every demon spirit and every devil in hell is going to be bound up, locked away, never to be able to wreak havoc on you and I ever again. This is where we're at, where time is running out. And what bothers me, again, is that sinners, and it has always been and always will be, will not believe that this is true of what I just spoke. But what bothers me is that we as the church, the church does not realize that time is soon running out. If we really truly believe that time is running out, we would be doing more than what we're currently doing right now. In fact, our lives would be getting cleaned up and we would be getting prepared for the return of the Lord as well. You see, I'm going to make a statement, and whether you believe me or not, I truly believe that we are the generation that will see the return of the Lord. We are the generation that will see the return of Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 36 informs us that no man knows the day nor the hour that he will return, not even the angels. And there's many that has come forth through the years, and I know that you are all aware of them, that has prophesied.
prophesied, and I call it they prophesied, that Jesus Christ was going to come back on a certain day or a certain year, and yet here we are still here. No man knows the hour nor the day that he's going to come back. But we know by the signs of time that it is soon to be. Amen? So the truth is that the heart of most people is not right before the Lord. See, we're focused on a specific day, and people will try to figure out what day is he coming back? What year is he coming back? And we're not to be concerned with the hour and the day. He said be concerned with your heart. Is your heart right? Because it's a guaranteed fact that he's coming back, amen? What he wants our concern to be with is, is our heart right with the Lord? You see, the problem with most is if they base their walk with the Lord off of a one-time experience that they've had with him or because they've come to church week in and week out, but, has, but that has nothing to do with it. You see, my question to you today is, have you had an encounter with Jesus Christ that has radically changed your life? Because I can tell you that an encounter is better than an explanation. I sit up here and I can tell you week after week and talk till I'm blue in the face. But until you have an encounter with this Jesus that I'm talking to you about, you will never truly be able to know. And an encounter is so much better than an explanation. I'd always heard about how beautiful Hawaii was when I was growing up. And I always said from a young child at 10 years old that I was wanting to go one day because I read about the stories, heard about the blue waters, heard about the islands and all that it was. But I never truly know until one day I said in my mind, I'm going to go and see this place that I've always heard about and I always dreamed about going. And can I tell you that when I stepped off that airplane and stepped there into that state, it was so much better than I had ever dreamed of it to be. It was so much better than what I had read about it to be. And that's the way that it is with Jesus. And receiving him, an encounter is so much better than any explanation that I or you could ever give. Amen? So when he truly has our heart, when he truly has your heart, and I'm not talking about half of it, we surrender everything over to him, then there will be relationship with him. You see, 1 Peter 3, 18, 19 says, For Christ once also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Who is the just that he's talking about? Jesus Christ is the only one that is just. And he has suffered for us the unjust. That is you and I and the entirety of this world. That he might bring us to God because he's the only one that can reconcile us to God. Being put to death in the flesh but quickened by the spirit by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison jesus himself went and preached to the spirits in prison himself you see the spirit here that he went and preached to again is falling to the fallen angels that are still locked up in hell itself but the same way that these spirits are locked up in prison is the same way that a spirit of man who is not born again is locked up in prison as well the one that is not born again is locked up on the inside under total control and under total dominion of the enemy, under total captivity, and cannot get free no matter what they desire to do. And without Jesus Christ, again, no one can be set free. There's no hope for the soul. There's no hope for the person except by saying yes to Jesus Christ. No other recourse despite what the world may say except faith and acceptance in Christ Jesus alone will cause the doors of the prisons to be flung open wide. And guess what? When the prison doors fling open wide, so does the throne room of grace fling open wide to you and I. When we got set free and we ran out of that prison, thank God I can now run into the throne room of grace. Amen? 
in verses 37 and 39, we see Jesus letting us know that even though we don't know the time of his second appearing, and even as far as the rapture as well, we find that what the condition of the world will be in regarding his return. You can turn there or read up on the screen. Genesis chapter 6. This is what he tells us will be the return of the Lord. It says here, as in the days of Noah were, so shall it also. So just as it was in the days of Noah, will it also be in the return of the Lord. And I want you to bear with me here as I read the first six, seven verses of this chapter. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, and that they were fair. And they took themselves wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the faults of his heart was on evil. Continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him at his heart. You see, if there's ever been a more picture perfect painting that is given to us as to what the signs of time would be in his return, it is right here outlined in verse 5 that the imaginations and the thoughts of man is on evil continually. We turn on the television and you see the pure evil that is being played out on a daily basis. We see the redefining of marriage. We see it slapped in our face. We see them advocating the murder of innocent babies in the wounds of the murder where year to date alone, year to date alone in this world, 23 million babies have been slaughtered. And where is the church? Where is the cry of the church? Where is the church at that is calling out these things proclaiming the truth of the Lord see it's not popular preaching and it doesn't always merit the shout and the running of the aisles and so therefore we find ourselves trying to, to stay away from it listen it's easy to come in here and preach a shouting message it's easy to stand up here and tell you the things that'll make you want to run up and jump down but when you have to preach or proclaim this type of a word it always always brings usually dead silence to the congregation because it's something that we don't like to hear because it makes us realize that, hey, we need to evaluate our own hearts when we start talking about how we need to be ready for his return. We literally see politicians on TV, again, underneath the influence of demon spirits that are advocating utter weaknesses now more than ever before. Their minds is on evil continually. And I want to show this picture here, if you'll pull it up, Connie. I don't know if you see this sign. Can you all see it? If Jesus returns, kill him again. If Jesus returns, kill him again. This is right now. Pure evil marches of people that are advocating that if Jesus Christ had come back, kill him again. And we sit around and we think that nothing's going on and we want to come together as a church and sing kumbaya, hold hands and say that we need to change. And we've got people walking around and this is led by a website and I refuse to call out the website's name. That's why I deleted it. That is there for nothing else but to try to deprogram us as Christians. And their sole mission is to rid of any knowledge, any preaching of Jesus Christ. Pure evil 
Pure evil, their mission statement, is to advocate against the widespread acceptance of the story of Jesus Christ. To clear the way for the world peace by eliminating religious conflict. Because they say that the only way that peace will be in this world again is by eliminating you and by eliminating me. And by eliminating the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If there has ever been a time that we need to wake up as a church as a whole, it is right now. Right now. We've got to wipe the sleep out of our eyes as the slide was tick-tock. The time is ticking. This hourglass is running out. It's time to wake up because this is what is going on here. And the iniquity, the cup of iniquity in America is full and getting ready to tip out. And the only thing that is holding back the wrath and the judgment of God is the blood-bought children of God that are interceding on behalf of this country saying, God, I know that it is our fault. We don't deserve your mercy. But God, if you will give us one more opportunity, we'll Preach the word of Almighty God. And if you'll pour out your spirit, I know that they'll come in. He's given us one more opportunity to preach this word because he's soon to return. He's fed up with what is going on the exact same way that he was in Genesis. We see this right here, wanting to kill our Lord and our Savior, the one who's never done anything wrong, the one that opened up blinded eyes, the one that made the lame to walk, the one that hung there on Calvary's cross and shed his blood so that you and I don't have to die and go to hell, but yet they want to kill him. Because they don't like what they feel when they hear the preaching of God's word. Because it tells them that you've got to change. That you need to repent. That's what they don't like about it. That's why they are trying to silence the church even as we speak. To the point where a whole governor of a state is mandating that masks be put on the people of churches. So that they cannot sing out. Let me tell you that's where it starts. Next thing it will be that the preacher can't preach. Because the spit's going to fly and hit every person in the church. Are we alive? Do we realize what's going on? Don't sing is how it starts. Next it will be don't preach. And if you don't believe me, you guarantee and mark my words, it's coming. And the Lord is going to see who's going to stand. But by his grace and by his mercy, and every day I pray for boldness, God, help me to stand. I don't care if they come in here and throw a hand comes behind me. You may very well see the day of me walking out. But you be like the church of the book of Acts that was praying for Peter. And pray all night that I'll be released. Because if we don't believe that it'll happen, we're fooling ourselves. Because it very well could happen, and I believe that the day is coming that it will happen. Proverbs 30, 11 through 14. There is a generation that curses their father and does not bless their mother. These are so-called Christians who have forsaken the Bible. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness, representing those who have never been washed and born again. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes as their eyelids are lifted. Much like the church of Laodiceans who says we are in need of nothing. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among the men. This is the self-righteous group that is setting out to destroy the righteous. This is not my words today. This is his words. And if there's ever been a, that generation he's talking about, it's right now. It's right now. The country of America is in the shape it's in because of the condition of the church. 
And I'm afraid we've got more professing Christians than we do possessing Christians and are far from being the true church that we claim to be. See, we sing and we shout on Sundays, but it is time that we start taking a look at ourselves. 1 Peter 4, 17. For the time is come that judgment must begin. Where? <clears throat> at the house of God. We point our finger at the homosexual. We point our finger at the abortion clinics. We point our fingers at the fornication and we call out their sin and we tell them that if they don't repent, they're going to die and go to hell. And again, all of those things are right. But we never as the church point the finger back to us. And the Bible here says in the first five words, for the time is come. It's right now that judgment must begin at the house of God. It's time for you and I as Christians to start evaluating our hearts. Is there stuff in our hearts that shouldn't be there? What's going on with us? Because we don't like to look at ourselves. We like to look at that one that's out there on the street. We like to look at that one that's out here committing all kinds of open, blatant sin. And we paint ourselves as real pretty. And the reason why the world's in the condition that it's in today is because of the church. Because as the church goes, so goes the nation. Prayer was taken out of school. Then Roe v. Wade got passed. Little by little, we didn't get to this place overnight. This has been decades and generations in the making. And little by little, we strayed from the truth. Little by little, we came off of our knees. Little by, I mean, I think about my grandparents who had just passed away. And to sit and hear the stories of how God moved in the 40s and the 50s and 60s to hear that people would come to the house of God and pray all night long. Let me tell you, that ain't just a fable. That literally happened. And they would come out of these prayer meetings and the fire of God would hit in these churches. Miracles would take place before their eyes. Divine healing would take place. Souls would run to that altar because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And yet we can't even take 10 minutes out of our day to fall on our knees before the Lord and cry out unto Him. Because we're too busy for Him. God will understand. I've got to get to this first. All of these temporal things and yet never a thought on the eternal. And it's the church as a whole. I, I stand here and it breaks my heart to have to say these things. But is it not the truth? Is it not the truth? It's time that we take a look at ourselves. Because again, we are not in the position and we're not truly where we need to be as a body, as a church, as a whole. Not just this building, but as a church, as a whole. Amen? See, it's time we get back on our knees and seek the face of God and ask Him to have mercy on us for our sin. And to ask him to give us one more opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I read that passage of scripture in Genesis. But God had a man by the name of Noah who found grace in the sight of the Lord. And he walked with God, the Bible says. Nothing better could be said about you and I than know that we've walked with the Lord. Amen. You see, Noah was guilty as all men are guilty. But the difference was, is grace, he had reached out. Grace had it saved him as grace is what saves any man. And though the hearts and minds of the millions of people in that day and time was on evil, God's love for man to be saved shined through. Millions of people are upon that world at that time. Millions. Noah wasn't here sitting with 20 or 30 people. Millions of people were on the world at that time, and yet it says that the thoughts were continuously on evil. 
And Noah was commissioned by God to build an ark and gave them ample opportunity to repent and turn to him. I know that some people believe that it's 120 years, but that's really not the way. But it doesn't matter if it was 120 or 98 or 100. I've seen all three. Personally, I think it was 98. But again, it doesn't matter. What matters is that the ark was built. Amen? But he gave a, an ample opportunity, 98 to 100 years, for men to repent. Millions walking on this earth, watching Noah every single day build this gigantic boat that God had told him to build because he said there was a flood coming. And every day Noah was swinging that hammer and every nail that he drove into them boards was a cry for repentance for righteousness. Every day they would pass by him. Every day they mocked him. There's no way this flood is coming. Is that not what they say to us today? There's no, nothing true about Jesus soon to return. Do they not sit back and say today that we've lost our minds, that the only way to be saved is to be born again? Second Peter says that 3, 3 through 4, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming. They laughed Noah to scorn. And they, but it never deterred him away. It never deterred him away. From obeying the Lord. He kept doing what he was called to do. And that was preach the gospel. Despite what people thought or said of him. Peter lets us know that he was a preacher of what? Righteousness. That is what God is, demands and expects today. Out of his church to be preachers of righteousness Luke 4 18 the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised and God's love for America and for this world has sent Noah's to this nation and to this world to warn and to cry out the word of the Lord. He has placed his spirit in them to preach the word. He's placed his spirit in them to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And God knows we need more men and women like Noah, preachers of the, of the righteousness that will stand up and will proclaim, thus saith the Lord. Quit talking about politics. Quit talking about seminars. Quit giving motivational speakings and start preaching the word of Almighty God. But can I tell you today, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be. The Bible goes on to tell us in Peter, in two different places, that there were eight people saved. Think about that. Millions of people upon this world in that day, that huge ark, and it hit me when I was studying this, that ark was big enough to save every individual on the face of this earth. There was enough room in that ark to have saved every person alive that was here on this world. But yet only eight people made it in. When you preach this gospel and in these last days, and I used to tear myself apart when I first started preaching would preach salvation messages and people wouldn't respond. I would somehow think it was something wrong with me. I would somehow think that I messed up, that I didn't do it just right. And I was based off of my performance, but I've grown and learned that I'm to give the word and that's all I'm to do. As in the days of Noah, so shall it be. Noah was rejected for a hundred years. How that man must have cried. How that man knew that the flood was coming and all of these people were scoffing at him. All of these people were laughing at him and he knew that if they didn't get on that ark, they were going to be destroyed. 
They were going to be eternally lost. But no one never stopped. Despite the whole world coming against them. We get so upset because we get made fun of by two people. But yet the whole world at that time was coming against Noah. But Noah never stopped. Because he knew the word of the Lord. Because he knew what was coming. Amen. Again, the same message he preached was righteousness. But just as they did the same, they, but just as they did, then the same, then the same is desired of man now, and that is to have their own way. He begged them to repent, begged them to turn from their wicked ways, and they would not heed his word. The Bible says that in the last days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying. And what does this mean? That doesn't mean literally eating and drinking and marrying. What he's talking about is they were just going through life. Doing the same thing day in and day out. We live our lives day in and day out. That's going to be the condition of the world when he comes back the second time as well as after the church. People's just going on around and about their business doing whatever they want to do. Never giving any thought to this word. Never giving any thought to his immediate return. Amen. But then there came a time when the attention was changed. See, your attention will be grabbed whether on this side of eternity or on the other side. I was telling Stacy yesterday, coming down the road, that there are no unbelievers in hell. There are no unbelievers in hell. There's not a person that's in hell today that does not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because they have seen, but it's too late. It's too late then. Now, today is the day of salvation, amen? Genesis 7, 1, and the Lord said unto Noah, Come you and all of your house into the ark, for you, have I, for you have I seen righteous before me in this generation. You see, the time had come to come into the ark. The preaching was over. The building of the ark was over. And all of those years of preaching, and out of all of those years, only eight people would survive. So can I tell you today that as Christians, he's not looking at us and basing off of how successful we are, but he's looking at how faithful we'll be. What is he going to tell us one day when we stand before him? Welcome in thy good and faithful servant. Faithful. He didn't say successful because the success was built off of how many people got saved. Then Noah wasn't successful. But yet we find this patriarch in faith's hall of fame. Here we see him mentioned again and again because he was obedient unto what the Lord had called him to do. Amen. What is so sad is that the ark was big enough again to house all of the people just as the cross is big enough to save every man. The ark was big enough at that time to have housed all of them people. Just as the cross is enough to has enough to save every individual, there is still room for more. There's still room for more. But just as the ark was rejected, so too is the cross rejected. So too is Christ Jesus rejected. The only hope for man that was then was the ark, and the only hope for man is the ark now, and that is the cross. The simple invitation for us to come into the ark lets us know where God is. He said come into the ark. When he used that word come into the ark, that signified where he was at. And where God is is in the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And if man wants to be with God, they've got to come to the cross. So my question is, what are we waiting for? Time as we know it is running out, and game time is over. We played church for long enough, and we've been able to hide in the ground, but today is the time to make a decision. Are you going to come into the ark and be saved, or are you going to wait until the rain comes when it's too late? As the church, 
what are we doing? 2 Peter 1.10, wherefore the rather brethren, who do you think he's talking to here? Brethren, Christians, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. The commission is given to you and I to make sure that we are right with the Lord. Can I tell you that on their walk with the Lord, that it is very easy to, not get, to get off of the path that you need to be upon? Well, I thought you said that if you're justified by your faith, you're saved. That's right. But can I tell you that sometimes we need to be wakened up and the church right now has gotten so far off course and the Lord is allowing things to wake the church up and we each and every single day, just as Paul said, to examine ourselves and see if we be of the faith. There's nothing more important than knowing for sure without a doubt that you are with the Lord and right with the Lord and in your walk with him where you need to be. Because the enemy will deceive you and make you think that you're all right because you walk through these doors or because you carry a Bible or because you put on a three-piece suit and we think that we're all right. And all in the while, he's looking at our heart. Is our heart truly right with the Lord? You see, before I would walk out that door, I would know that everything is right between me and the Lord. Before I would walk out that door, I would ask the Lord to search my heart and to reveal anything that may be standing in the way of him and I. And today, you and I can be sure of our calling. The church as we know it, again, needs to wake up and to be about the Father's business. And as he comes back to play, just him playing, we have been told by the Lord to lift up our eyes, to look onto the fields, for they are now ready to harvest. There is a whole pile of people that are needing Jesus Christ. And they are depending upon you and I in being obedient and to the command of the Lord to go out and to preach and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they are given the opportunity to come in. So my question is to you as you stand to your feet today as he plays softly. I would ask that you would evaluate yourself, evaluate your heart. And you and you alone know the condition of your heart. You and the Lord knows it. And if something, things that I said today made your heart beat a little bit faster made things quicken a little bit inside of you that's the Holy Spirit inside of you saying listen to what he's saying come into the ark can I tell you that when that ark was completed guess what the Bible says the door was shut the ark was closed the door is open right now and Jesus Christ is standing there knocking at the door are you going to let him in are you going to come into the heart? So my question is to you today, are you ready to meet Jesus Christ? And as a church today, can we sit here today and corporately come to seek the Lord and say, Lord, send us forth. Use us to proclaim your gospel. Use us and let us be about the Father's business. Help us to labor now more than ever before. If that's your desire, I want you to come today and let us seek the Lord for such a time as this because there's people that are depending upon you and I and being obedient to His command. So I would ask that you respond to the Holy Spirit today.
Christ today. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that I'm saved, that despite what's going on in this world today, I've got assurance that everything is well with my soul. Amen. And I'm so thankful that even though we may leave this place, his word that's been deposited in our hearts doesn't leave. Amen. And I'm trusting and believing that his word is going to continue to do what it does. Amen. He said his word will not return void. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the service that you've given us today. We thank you for the word that you've given us. Lord, we thank you, God, for those, Lord God, that have made the declaration, Lord, in their hearts, God. Those watching by the way of internet, Lord, that are saying, send me, God. Send me forth into the fields, Lord God. Lord, I would pray that, Lord, you would just continue to search us. Lord, let us be found ready. Lord, you tell us to also be ready, God. Help us to be ready find ourselves watching and waiting, watching and praying for your soon return, Lord. God, I pray, let that kingdom mind be within us, Lord. Let the greatest desire of our heart be for more of you, but also, Lord, that we would want to see others come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you're doing and all that you've done. And we say it all in the name of Jesus. And everyone says amen and amen. Thank each and every one of you for being with us today. We love each and every one of you. You need us, call us. You want some of these flyers, uh, come back, come and see me, and I'll hand you some. We got 400 that need to be handed out. And uh, again, just ask the Lord to uh, give you the words to say as you come out. Amen. We love you. Be blessed.